Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This car says we're pivot. You understand just how we live it. This for me is like rap religion. Open on beat because we got this guy. When it comes to this, y'all, I can get it hype. When it comes to this, y'all, calm has risen. How you living, huh? Yo, how you living, pivot? One of the incredible things about doing a podcast is you get to see people that you haven't seen and they reveal things that you never knew that they felt. And so this is an absolute reunion. The great and powerful Rex Lee, who played Lloyd on Entourage, who was my whipping boy. I crush this guy every week for eight seasons and a movie. And he told me things that I never knew he felt. I had no clue that, you know, he... So much of that, any of it, really, um, because we both stayed in character when we were there. We were incredibly professional. And I you know, would go to him from time to time and just say, hey, man, um, are you okay with me saying this? And he was just what I thought was dismissive. He would just go, yeah, of course I'm okay with it. Who cares? Give me a break. And I just would thought, think, okay, oh, God, he doesn't want me around him. So the reality is we were, in reality, the opposites of our character. I was tiptoeing around him trying to make sure he was okay and, and I didn't want to offend him and he was just telling me to get out of there. But the reality was that wasn't where he was coming from. So one of the insane benefits about doing a podcast is that you sit with a guy who you made history with, who you have documented all these incredible shows and here we are coming back together all these years later, and I'm really glad we did because I, I, I get to see this guy in a different light. So this whole thing is a gift. Please give it up for the incredible Rex Lee, and believe me, you're not gonna see this coming. People know us, obviously, from Entourage. Yeah. And what is the most, the thing that you hear the most when you're out, you're in an airport, you're walking down the street, <laughs> what, what, what do you hear most? I hear most. What is Jeremy Piffin like? Oh my God. <laughs> I kid you not. Really? Yeah. That is crazy. And do you dare, you know, be totally honest? Let's hear it. Let's hear the honesty. Oh, 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 ouch. I didn't know you were gonna ask me that. Um, <laughs> it's okay, I, I, I'm no, a big you boy. Know what? I'm very honest uh, and a little bit unsparing, but very loving. That, that is, you should run for office. That was like so vague. Um, um, okay, honestly, I, I, whatever, I guess I'm just going to lay it all in line. Yeah. I tell people, okay, first of all, I tell people that before we ever worked together, I knew who you were, obviously. Uh, you should know that a lot of gay men are like into you. I, you know what, man? Uh, that's That's information that I can't use, but... I will. No, but in the same way that a lot of women are attracted to you, a lot of gay men are attracted to you, and here's my theory on why. Okay. People look at you, and they see a certain sort of energy about you. Yeah. And everyone's like, what would it be like to get fucked by that? Uh, I have to say, Rex, I, you are one of the few people that make me uncomfortable. <laughs> so anyway, back to what... And that's it. No, we're done. It's a fucking wrap. <laughs> so no. back, to, back to what I say when people ask me about you. I oh say, God. the reason I told you that is because it, it has to do with the word energy. I say, you know, I think of Jeremy as, as having this 
energy about him that's all about finding peace. I don't know why, but sometimes, especially when we first met, sometimes I look at you and I think that guy has not found his peace yet, but he's searching as hard as he can. Wow, I don't, this is, Rex, why, we should have gotten deep back in the day. <laughs> My God, we, we were so locked into, I, I have so, so many questions and so many observations and thoughts, and I just remember, and it's a testament to your work, that you came in after we had already started. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was witnessing you, and you didn't seem overwhelmed or intimidated um, at all. Um, and you just kind of, because they just threw you in. You know, and I remember going to you one day because I was very sensitive because, as you know, I am a sensitive person yeah, yeah. and I'm searching for peace. And I was playing this fictional character that is over the top and, and reactive and an equal opportunity offender and offensive and all that stuff. Um, but I remember I, I went to you in the morning before we started the scene and I said, Rex, I don't know if you remember, as I said, are you okay? I'm about to say, have you had so much cum squirted in your eyes mm. that you can't see what's right in front of your fucking face? You know, I will choke you out with a fucking strap on. And I was like, are you, are you, are you, I, I wanted to check with you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because before I just started, excuse the, the, the turn of phrase, unload on you, mm. if you will. And I was about to just crush you. And I just wanted to make sure you were okay. And without missing a beat, you're like, yeah, I'm fine with it. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, it was in the script. Right. I, I read it before you checked in with me. <laughs> no, I know. I know that. But I just wanted to make sure that, like, it just, it was unflinching. Mm. You know what I mean? And I just wanted to check in with you to see, of course, it's a work of fiction. Yeah, yeah. But just that if you were offended by any of the language, you never were. You were such a gamer. Yeah, no. I, well, especially your character, you know, said horrible things about women and I don't know, blacks and gays and Asians. And so I just always thought of his art. I always thought of Ari as an equal opportunity offender. Yeah. And so I just thought it would be really silly for me to get upset about the things he's saying to me. Right. Like, and not be upset about anything else. You know, if I, if I had a problem, I probably shouldn't take this job, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And what people don't realize is your character in the beginning, um, there were no plans for it to be a series regular. And it's a tribute to you because you came in and they were like, oh, no, no, we're not letting this guy go. And, you know, they didn't. And the rest is history. Yeah. You know, um, if you recall, season two had 14 episodes. And for some reason that year, they'd written seven of them before we ever started shooting. Yeah. And I think my character appeared in four of those seven. But literally, like, if you go back and watch season two episode six i have one line it's john crier's on line three <laughs> inexplicably when you watch the dvd the closed captioning says mike garbled is on line three it doesn't say john crier i don't know why anyway you know i had my one little scene in episode one i had some good scenes with you in episode four i sort of you know approached my job that year as I'm just going to do the best job I can as an actor, and yeah. I defy them not to keep me around. Because, by the way, at the beginning of season one, Samara, as Emily, says, Hi, I'm Emily, Ari's new assistant. <laughs> and my first line in episode one of season two is, Hi, I'm Lloyd, Ari's new assistant. And I thought that was the joke. I thought they have to get rid of me at the end of season two and have a new assistant at season three. And I was like, I have to, I have to do everything I can to make them not do that. And you did. You actually, yeah, <laughs> you know, you crushed it. It was incredible. And you were, it, it, it was interesting. It was like nothing I would say or do to you on camera would ever make you crack. No matter how <laughs> much I was insanely offensive, screaming at you, you just always stayed locked in. Um, which, which I, I, you know, you never broke. That's why there's no outtakes of you breaking in any way, shape, or form, which is kind of amazing. And I think, I, if I remember correctly, one of the one of the scenes I think that they realized there's no way that we can let Lloyd go because of the chemistry that we had was, um, <laughs> you said to me, and I'm going to butcher what, what what the lines were because I can't quite remember exactly. I, I wanted you to stay on. And you said, well, you have to promise me 
that you you know won't make any homophobic slurs mm. and you won't take any shots at me and i said listen i i really i value you but i i can't promise you that <laughs> and it was like and you just kind of and there was this this moment where it was like your character valued his honesty you know that yes he was this insane tyrant that was wildly offensive but at least he was straight with you no pun yeah, intended yeah yeah yeah, and that, you know, he you know, he is what he is. Do you think that our show could exist in this climate? Well, I think it would be a different show. In this climate, the the stories would all be about how does Ari exist in this climate that's sort of hostile to his existence. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it can be done and I think it could be funny. I think it really would because he would obviously be walking on eggshells and he was kind of a, a modern day Archie Bunker yeah. in the way that he was wildly offensive um, and yet um, he was loyal. He was loyal to you. I mean, it was so great. You you know, became an agent by the end. So you had this great journey and everyone was <laughs> pulling for you. What did the banner say? Do you remember what this? Congratulations on being an Asian instead yeah. of agent. Yeah. It's like, congratulations, you're an Asian now. You're an Asian now. <laughs> that was amazing. Completely amazing. So we got to get to it. The urban legend. Do you know it? I do know the urban oh, legend, okay. unless I have it wrong. Well, no, go ahead and tell me what you've heard. I heard, and by the way, there's two story, sides of every story. This is what's so great about podcasts. Um, you were an assistant mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm to the casting director, and they were looking for a gay Asian assistant, or as Ari Gold would say, a Gaysian mm. assistant. Is that true? No, that's an urban legend. There you go, urban <laughs> legend. So what's that, the truth? There are elements that are close to that, but it's not what happened. I, I was, I was and am an actor. I was in LA trying to be an actor. I right. wasn't getting anywhere. And so I had to have non-acting jobs. Right. And I was an assistant to a casting director, but a casting director who casts commercials, right. like somewhere else. Okay. I didn't know Sheila Jaffe, I didn't know Meredith Tucker, I didn't know anyone in that office. Right. I was just a guy that came in to audition. Right. So I wasn't an assistant to anyone casting Entourage at all. That's the part that, you know, I'll be honest, it bugs me a little bit because sometimes people say to me, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard that you were an assistant to, you know, in the casting office and right. they were looking for someone that was right. like you and you just fell into this. And right. I'm like, no, I was struggling for so long. Which is, which is great because, you know, it, it's, I think if people, do you ever get asked by actors or anyone that's starting out, like, do you have any advice? Sure. And what do you tell them? Well... Based on my experience, I say perseverance is there you go. is key. Because yeah. look, you and I were both not kids. We were in our mid thirties. Oh, you're outing me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's you, right. No, it's okay. You you know I routinely play younger than my you actual do. I'm age. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, but you know, I mean, unfortunately I, we have Google now. Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? And, and I told IMDB my real birthday, like early on, which was a mistake. You and I both. <laughs> but so yeah, perseverance because you, you just have to stay after it because you will get your shot. But the, you know, like Shakespeare says, the readiness is all. Will you be ready when you get your shot? And you were ready and you took advantage of it, which is great. Do you, do you, when people yell something at you in an airport, when you're, you know, where, wherever, because I'll tell you what I hear. Do you, what, what do you hear them scream at you? They're, they're doing their impersonation of you yelling <laughs> Lloyd. Exactly. It, and, and I, it's funny because I, you know, I've been touring the country doing stand-up comedy and I get on stage and I just hear Lloyd! <laughs> well, that's not appropriate. You're not Lloyd. Why are they yelling Lloyd at you? Um, well, it's interesting because there's so many different ways to deal with hecklers. Mm. And with me, it's different because 
they're not heckling me or my performance. They're yelling out lines, yeah. you know, from different movies or, 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 or from Entourage and are screaming Lloyd. And so sometimes if I hear that, I'd say, I'm sorry, sir, do you have Tourette's? Are you okay? <laughs> Can we talk about this? Can we, you know, there are different, different ways of dealing with them. But one story I, I tell on stage, which you probably don't know, is the way that I prepared, for instance, even just running lines for Entourage, is that I would run lines with my mom. Mm-hmm. And so my mom played you for mm-hmm. almost a decade, Wow! which is completely surreal, uh-huh. which is so insanely surreal because she was also my acting teacher from the time yeah. I, was, I was. So she probably did a good job. Well, <laughs> she didn't, you, you know, you, you definitely always brought it and, you know, she could never do what you were doing. But the idea, people can't believe that, for instance, everything I said to Lloyd, as Ari, I said to my mother's mm. face, which is insane if you think about oh, it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Completely insane. And my mother, like you, would sit there stone face and never flinch <laughs> because she knew, you know, she's my mom and she's hearing me say these things, you know. Um, uh, I will choke you out with a fucking strap on, you know? And she'd be like, okay, good. Let's go again. Let's go again. It's pretty good. We're not in a pretty good business. I want you to make the strap on more specific. Ooh. And I'm like, what? <laughs> she goes, what is your relationship with the strap on? I don't, I don't have a relationship <laughs> with the strap on mom. I know, but like, think about, you know, your childhood. I go, mom, you, you were there. <laughs> You're a part of my childhood. She goes, come on. I go, mom, I am. She goes, that's the energy you need for the scene right there. So she was just trying to get me riled up and then to, you know, to get me to emotionally invest in the strap on. But, you know, just like, you know, stories like that, people can't believe because I think, you know, people don't realize that you and I did the bulk of our work on a soundstage. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're in our office. And when people think of Entourage, they think of, oh, okay, you guys were on the boat with the bikinis Mm -hmm, and the mm -hmm. madness. And I was like, no, you and I were rolling calls and screaming at each other. The boys were out on location kind of living the dream and we were we were doing our thing but so they just kind of assumed uh, who knows what they was assumed it's it's none of my but i i remember because we were both you know I, I i had worked but we were both journeyman actors and then this comes around and immediately and i wasn't prepared for this but immediately the knives came out for me uh with the press mm. and i remember i wasn't i wasn't prepare for it in any way. I'm a stage actor from Chicago mm-hmm. um, and I have a steady, steady job and I'm loving it and I'm playing a very specific character um, that exists. Ari Emanuel, you know, yeah. is still Mark Wahlberg's agent out there and he was mine and he's a very specific character and they, you know, had a, a guy that they could draw from in, in so many different aspects your character was fictional, and um, but mine that really it really existed. So it was my job to make that character as authentic as possible. But it was also a very easy target for the press yeah. to take a shot at a guy like Ari Gold. Yeah, and I wasn't prepared for it at all. It was kind of surreal to me because yeah. you finally make it. You're in your mid to late thirties. Uh, you you panic when I say that. <laughs> you know, I'm disappointed to hear that because to me it seems like it's lack of ima- imagination on the part of the press because yeah. I see an actor doing an amazing job, you know, embodying a character and making it human. Right. And there and for some reason I think people saw that performance and it was just too good and they thought he's got to be that guy in order for him to do that. Like they don't have, they don't understand that actors can bring something to a character and be something other than who they are. And you for sure don't have to agree with the ideology yeah, of your character. For sure. It's not like, and, and if you, as you know, you, the worst thing you can do is judge your characters. No one is a devil in their own story. So if you're playing the devil, and you start judging your character, you're not gonna get all the layers and everything because they don't see it that way. Um, and yeah, you're very astute. You know, They didn't wanna kind of take that leap. And my agent actually said to me, because I remember we were you know, uh, 
dealing with an off, you know, an off season, and I'm I'm going, huh? I'm, I'm where are where's where's the work? And they said, I got to be honest with you. What I'm hearing from people is, and I'll quote him. He goes, they said it's too good. There's no way that's acting. And I'm like, oh my see, that's God. a much more succinct way of saying what I was trying to say too. Well, but it's just to me, growing up in a theater family, being surrounded by theater animals, and being in that community, which is so different than Hollywood, because we're all kind of looking out for each other. Um, you know, we're not competing against each other. Um, the knives aren't out. So when I heard that, it was just, listen, the reality is we have to navigate this life and we all have our obstacles, you know, and you can't rail against the world and, and play the victim card. You know, it's your job. Okay. So they think that you are this character, you know, so I go and play the Versace salesman in rush hour or whatever mm -hmm. and try to mix it up. It's our job to try to, yeah. to get out there and mix it up as much as possible. Cause otherwise, you know, you, it's, it's very easy for, I'm reading, I'm reading this, this amazing book right now called the untethered soul. And, um, yes, I can read. Don't give me that look, Rex. <laughs> no, but you're, you're, you're funny. I think you're one of the only people that have put it that way that I'm, that I'm been searching for peace. Um, and one of, one of the many brilliant things it says in there is like, um, we've all been hurt in our lives and a lot of people cling to these pains. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of, for whatever reason, you can't let these things go and it just gets in your way. And you just have to just continuously just, I, you know, you are not your thoughts. You are not your emotions. You're, you're witnessing all these things and continuously kind of let them go so that you can be the best version of yourself and operate on, on your highest vibration. No one thought we'd be having this conversation, but I like that we are. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. How You Live in J-Piven will be right back after we pay some bills. When you go on holiday, there is no finer achievement than doing absolutely nothing. Nothing on the beach, nothing by the pool, walking kind of nowhere and chatting about nothing. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight. So you can have a bit more money to go out there with great ambition to do absolutely nothing. Expedia, made to travel. Listen, to this day, uh, people just want to see more of Entourage and it's, mm. it's not something that um, feels dated to people. I don't know what your response has been, but you know, if I get on social media, people just want to know, you know, they're like, this is my third time binge watching the entire series. You know, I think it's, 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 it's real escapism for people, you know, and they're, and they're loving it. And we're living in these really interesting times, you know, that are, that are fascinating and, and the things are coming to light that needed to come to light. So I'm curious to see kind of what's next. And I know for you, the next thing, or one of the many things that you did afterwards, you went and did a, a sitcom on ABC that was yeah. supposed to be family friendly. I thought it was, it was family friendly. It was, yeah. Listen, when I, when I was on Entourage, I would go to the Hollywood parties and random agents from all the big agencies in town would come up to me and give me their card and they'd say, why aren't you with us? And I said, I don't know, maybe someday I will be. And then Entourage came to an end and then I panicked and I thought, oh fuck, I'm never gonna work again. And you know, Suburgatory just sort of fell in my lap a little bit. That pilot season, that was the pilot season that Two Broke Girls came about and so they wanted me to come in for that stereotypical guy that had the heavy accent. And I know Matthew who played that role and th you know, thank God he did because he did such a good job. But I don't know, I was just like, do I really want to play that guy? And Anyway, it didn't go well. Pilot season did not go well. And then out of the blue, they were like, it's a guest star in the pilot, one or two episodes. Do you want it? They're offering it to you. I'm like, and I read the script and it was the best script I'd read that entire year. And I was like, uh, yeah, I want to be a part of this. Where was I going with that story? Just that I was desperate for a job 
sorry, I, I mentioned all those agents because yeah. when it came time to call the numbers on those cards, they were like, yeah, we don't think you're going to have a career after Entourage, so we don't want to represent you. So they that, said that to you. Yeah, basically. So that made me panic even more. So I took this job and then, you know, it was, it was just like Entourage where I didn't have a role that was necessarily going to turn into anything, mm -hmm. but I just went and tried to be a human. And, and that character was in my mind, very different to a lot of audience members. It wasn't different at all, which is, you know, interesting. Um, so I just had a blast sort of playing this guy who was very innocent and pure and just wanted to please everyone. And I had fun. That was cool. You know, and the, you, so you've done all these things since Entourage and you've, you've been as prolific as probably anyone in our cast. Um, does it bother you when you hear people scream Lloyd? At you? Uh, be no. honest. No, honestly, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what do you say when you hear that, by the way? Well, the weird thing is if I'm like walking down Sunset and someone's driving by in their car and yell out the window, I'm kind of like, that's so weird. Like, it's not really an interaction, is it? <laughs> they're yelling at me and then they're gone. Right. So I'm like, that wasn't satisfying. Right. <laughs> I'd rather have a two minute conversation where I say thank you for the compliment, you know? Right. I want to acknowledge that people like me, you know? Right. So that's weird to me that that happens. Right. But for the most part, people, by the way, Entourage fans are some of the nicest fans ever. They just, the people that love us really love us. Yeah. And so people are just very, very nice to me and very complimentary and it makes me feel good. <laughs> there you go. Well, that that's a, a great way to look at it. Um, because by the way, the, the people that are like, E fans or turtle fans, they, they, sort of, they sort of see me from afar and they nod, but they don't actually come up and talk to me very much. They're like, I think because they're embarrassed that I wasn't their favorite. So they smile at me, but they keep their distance. Well, what's interesting is we're in people's living rooms, mm -hmm. right? So um, it's this interesting interaction where they think they know us. Mm -hmm and we don't know them. So they see you as this character and it's the character initially was lower status. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so you are the assistant. Yeah. They see me as this raging lunatic. <laughs> so when I see people, they're like, bro, tell my wife she's a rusty cunt bucket. She's getting to right here. Can you go ahead? Her name is Elaine. And I'm like, brother, we're in, a, we're in front of a Cinnabon. Yeah. You're in a mall. I'm on a merry-go-round, my man. So you have to understand, it's different for me mm. in the way that people immediately, I can see it. I see it transform. They want to show me their inner douchebag. Wow. They want me to see that they are a douchebag. Mm -hmm. I have guys come up to me and go, bro, I'm a douchebag because of you. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I think you're killing the game on your own, my man. I don't know if you need, do you need me? You don't need me, right? Do they go up to Brian Cranston, right? The great Walter White and go, I fucking sell meth and kill people because of you. We're gonna have to ask Brian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it sounds like a possibility to me, the way, you know, the way you're presenting it. Why, why wouldn't they come up to him and say, I'm ideal too. I think it was even Clooney said this, that he noticed from his ER days is that because he was in people's living rooms, they come right up to him. With Brad Pitt, they kept their distance mm. because they're used to seeing him in another setting. Mm -hmm. But he, you know, we've been in their living rooms. So for me, it's, listen, it's something that we're never given anything we can't handle. And when people come up to me and they're very aggressive, or if I'm at the urinal and some guy is smacking me on the back and- I, I stop peeing at urinals. You stop peeing at urinals. <laughs> Okay, I think I was, I, you would think that'd be your favorite place. Good night, everyone. Thank you for coming. See why? Why would no, I go no, no. there? I was I was at a urinal, like at, in the restroom at, uh, at a museum in San Francisco, right. and just some guy wanted to talk to me. And it wasn't until that moment that I realized I do not enjoy talking to people while I'm while I'm peeing, especially strangers.
Right. So I was just like, uh, can we talk about this in five minutes? Yeah. Just that, wait a few minutes. Wow, that's a long time. Well, wow. I, you know, Rex, I, wash, I wash my hands, right. you know, I take my time. Thank God. <laughs> hey, did you hear about that guy who, I think he's in jail now, but he, he paid somebody like $10,000 to be an extra on Entourage. I interacted with that guy. I was at Sundance one year, and he said to me, I will give you $10,000 if you can get me a job as an extra on Entourage. And it just felt weird and dirty, and I was like, I don't know. And so yeah. I didn't do it. But I think someone else did, because he ended up working as an extra on, on Entourage, like on a day I wasn't working. But now, all these years later, he got busted for something dishonest. I think he was like selling scam cures to COVID-19 or something. Really? Yeah. And that was all part of the backstory. Yeah. That's insane. I, 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 it's part of the backstory because when it hit the news that this guy was arrested, they always identified him as being a person who had been on the set of Entourage. I, Matt Damon, who was on our show, and really it was kind of amazing because he used the entire thing basically for charity, which was kind of genius what he, what he was able to pull off. And um, I went to a fundraiser for him and um, he had a family emergency and he couldn't show up. So I kind of had to take over. And the whole point was building wells in Africa for kids. And so my auction item was a line on Entourage. Now, it's illegal to do that, and I said it, but I was like, look, if there was ever a time to do something illegal, it's to raise money for kids mm. in Africa, right? So I said, you know, you guys got a line in Entourage, and, and I'd love to be on the set with you. And we raised so the amount of money they paid for this was so astronomical. And Charlize Theron was after me, and she her auction item was auctioning off um, something to do with the World Cup in in South Africa, where she's from. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't getting the traction that the Entourage thing got, and she was railing against me for like, you know, making up that it was illegal when it really was. But the fact is, I mean, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars wow. for someone to show up and and they did it and it was for it was for an incredible cause you know and it's just not done but you know i don't even know if i can say this you know if we can keep keep it on or i hope i hope we do because it was and i remember they showed up you know we we had people all the time mark cuban all these athletes and um it was it was my honor whenever they would let me to work with someone that hadn't, you could tell they hadn't, they had no real reference for acting. Mm. But, you know, everyone showed up and, and they were great. But I don't know if you remember, were you there when Mike Tyson was with us? Yeah. You were. You yeah. were in those scenes. Of course you were. Of course you were. I don't know if you remember this. But so he comes in and we read the scene, or we actually just, you know, as you remember, for me, I had to have my lines down. I had to be ready to go the moment, you know, I, I'm just one of these people where if it's not memorized, you don't own the lines, then I'm fucked, completely fucked. So there I am with Mike Tyson, and he jumps into the scene, and you could tell he had really worked on it, and he really knew what he wanted to do. But it was very strange watching him do mm. what he wanted to do because it wasn't him. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, basically, I, you know, you know, I just want something, you know, that where I, you know, I can get in here and do my thing, and he has to be squishing, and I'm, and he and I'm going, but wait, what's? And he kept punching certain lines, and I could tell someone told him to kind of accentuate. You know, I want something, you know, I kind of like the Brady Bunch. You know, I want to do something with Cindy Brady, and and I was just going, oh, and and the director at the time was like, I, I don't. I go, I go, Mike, let me ask you. I said, just, just give me a minute to work with him. And so I said, uh, let's, uh, 
what's what's going on with you, man? What you know? What's happening with you these days? He's like, you know, I'm just, you know, basically, you know, blessed to be here. You know, things are going really well. And and also, by the way, and I, I digress. It's gonna be a very long story. But they used to come to me. The producers of Entourage used to come to me when we would have someone um, like Mike Tyson um, or, or, you know, anyone that's kind of uh, is high profile, eccentric, whatever the case may be. Um, and they would have me come in and talk to them and meet with them to help them get them to do the show. I don't know why they used me like that, but I was honored. Um, I wasn't a producer on the show, but one of them was Mike Tyson. And I just went in there and said, man, I, I just got to tell you what a huge fan I, I am. I, I've been watching every one of your fights and, you know, it's just an honor. And, you know, we didn't have, as you, as you we didn't ever, HBO has great street cred, but there's not a ton of money. And so, you know, especially now for guests stars mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. that and so they said mike you know we it's, it's only going to be this amount of money and it was not a lot of money at all i mean you at all and he was like you know it would be just a really great honor to be a part of it thank you so much you know just you know i would love to be a part of it thank you and he was just so sweet and so on the day when we were doing the scene i just said you know mike what's going on with you these days man and he goes well you know uh, you know how how are you doing? And I go, uh, um, and he goes, I lost a hundred pounds. I said, I'm sorry. He goes, I lost a hundred pounds. You know, basically I'm a vegan. I'm a pacifist, you know, people, you know, they don't really know who I am. And he just started opening up to me. Wow. People have this thing with me and I, I'm honored that they feel comfortable with me. And he just started talking. And so what I did was I, I, I looked at the guys and I just went like that and they started filming. And so I just led him in organically into the scene. Right. He, he's just like, yeah, you know, I'm just happy. I'm lucky to be here. I'm honored, you know, be a part of this. And I go, well, you know, obviously you love being in front of the camera. Like, what kind of projects are you looking to do right now? And I literally just started saying the lines in the, in the script. And he's just like, you know, I don't know. I'd like to do something, you know. And so he would dance around it. And then I would kind of like get him to start to say certain lines in the script. And we kept going, mixing it up. And then he got comfortable and he was totally present. And by the end of it, he was just crushing it. Great. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it was a blast to be able to do that. And for them to even let me do that was incredible. And no one knows that. But it was, it, but it was, it was <laughs> until now. Yeah, until now, it was, it was really fun. And I think that people don't realize how important it is to make others feel comfortable on a set. Yeah, because yeah. You, you're not going to, unless someone you know is at gunpoint and they need to get those fear. You're not going to make someone feel incredibly uncomfortable and scare the shit out of them and get a great performance out of them. Yeah. You know, you create an atmosphere where people just feel very comfortable and then they do their best work. But also, as you know, no matter what the vibe is on set, you've got to come ready to play. Yeah, for sure. Don't go anywhere. How You Live in J-Piven will be right back after we pay some bills. You know, I think just people don't really have a true understanding of what happens on his set. And so just, you know, when I sort of tell stories about behind the scenes or whatever, they're, it's a little bit shocking to them, you know? It, it, I, I don't know, I'm not saying people are stupid, but it's almost like <laughs> this weird sort of innocent, uh, misguided thought where right. it's almost like they think, I'm really close to Lloyd, you're really close to Ari, and we right. come in and it's almost like shooting a reality show where, you know, we're just going to say these things and it's odd to them that the, if anything happens behind the scenes where, you know, I hated that hair lady. She and I hate each other to this day, you know, that kind of thing. You just hit upon something that is both comforting and offensive at the same time. Um, because as you know, the harder you work, the easier it looks. So, People thought that this, you used the word reality, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that it was a reality show. So hence, they thought there was no script. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do they realize 
that if we didn't say every single, am I right? You're right. Every You're right. single word. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you're very smart and creative and talented, and so you were the king Finally. of the. Finally, you were the king of the buttons. Goddamn respect you were, in this. You were the king of the buttons, right? Like we do the scene, and then you'd say something, you know, after we were done saying what was on the page, and you know, more than more often than not, it was brilliant. So God bless you, my God. <laughs> Finally, yes, <laughs> truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> But you're right. Yes, of course. If we were doing a scene and it wasn't close enough. No, no, not close enough, my man. Come on, be honest. It was like, it was like, it, it was for my people, for the Jews, it was like reading the Torah. I mean, it was like every single word. And so it was our job to take these scenes and speeches and to own that dialogue, to make it look improvisational. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's a big compliment. They thought it was a reality show. And maybe that's part of why people kind of thought we were these characters, because they thought it was a reality show, which is so insane to me. Um, now, Doug Ellen, you know, wrote brilliant scripts and great dialogue, and we were incredibly lucky to have it. My part of my background is in sketch comedy and improvisation. so. I learned very early on that you stick to the script and I was always pitching, you know, and then, and then, you know, okay, when do I pitch? Should I pitch soon as right after we get the script? Do I do it the night before? Do I do it on the day? I'm always trying to find the right time to do it. And you mentioned that I would do buttons. The reason I did buttons is because if they didn't yell cut, that was my time to throw my stuff in. Mm -hmm. I had that last little fucking moment where I could freestyle. That's where Let's Hug It Out Bitch came from. I know. You were there. No, I go. wasn't there, but I know that's your most famous button that you came up with that wasn't in the script. Oh my God. Brilliant Jeremy. Thank you, there we go. <laughs> oh my God, this is the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> no, I remember Kevin was staring at me and I know that Connolly is one of these guys who, you know, he's, they, we couldn't have asked for a better cast. You know, uh, Connolly, they, it's interesting, the way they cast it, this is gonna be controversial and I don't care, I just have to call it like I see it. The way they cast it was they wanted to find, from what I heard, and maybe it's urban legend and we should get to it, that Dylan walked in the room, Kevin Dylan walked in the room, and he had just come from playing tennis and he had these kind of 80s tennis shorts on and this wonderful tan lines. Um, and, he, and he just goes, bro, I'm sorry, man. I just came, I was playing on the court. Is there any empanadas here, bro? Or something like that. And they were like, that's the guy. Literally, like, that's, that's the guy. And Connolly, you know, his best friend is DiCaprio. And so his best friend is Vinny Chase. And they knew him as this guy who was a great actor, prolific, doing his thing. Um, but also, you know, in life is best friends with this movie star. And they were very smart to know, okay, he's gonna have a reference for how to navigate this world. You know, Jerry was a sweet kid, a kid, the youngest in the cast, you know, and and living in his car at the time. I don't know. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, and you know, what a, what a great break for him and was, you know, the only guy that could read those lines, um, you know, where he's like, where he says to the girl, you know, if this goes well, I'll show you where Vince eats breakfast, you know, trying to get this girl to sleep with him. And he was the only guy that could say, it, and it didn't sound creepy. Um, so he got the role and with me, Ari Emanuel was my agent. So I had all these unbeknownst to me, you know, our agents are the gatekeepers to our careers. Yeah. So we're kind of hanging on their every word. So unbeknownst to me, I had been studying this guy and he had all these incredible dualities where outwardly you would think he is this raging lunatic pig, not uh, loyal to his wife, when the reality is that he was loyal to his wife and he was all bark and no bite. And, and the rest is history. 
So, I mean, it's, it's interesting that people, it's our job to make these characters as dimensional and real as possible. And the fact that they thought it was a reality show, you know, I have to say to people and you know, that it's a work of fiction, that yeah. it's not a documentary. Um, so it's this kind of backhanded compliment. Yeah. But I will say, you know, piggybacking on what you just said about R. Emanuel was your agent and you had been studying him without knowing that you'd been studying him. If I go back to that urban legend and my correction of it, I had been an assistant for five years before I booked Entourage. I did five years of research without knowing I was doing it. Yeah. And I mean, of course, it informed my relationship to your character, but also oh. it just totally made me understand the tone of the show before the show ever existed. Right. I saw season one and I was like, oh, this is real, but you know, bumped a little bit for the sake of comedy. Right. But this is real. I live in that world and I got it. You know, people who take themselves a little bit too seriously. I don't know. Well, but also you had to be subservient to these people, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a world that you wanted to work in as yeah. an actor. And you probably had to take a lot of, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is anyone was dishing out, you had to take it. Yeah. And, you know, when you talked about the things that you would say to me, you know, one of the questions that you ask yourself as an actor in a scene or in a project or... I shouldn't say project, but in a, in a piece is if you're in a scene and, and whatever, there's conflict or there's unpleasantness, you always have to ask yourself, why doesn't my character leave this scene? Why right. didn't my character quit when you were like mean to me or whatever? Right. And so I had to answer those questions and I came up with good answers. Right. And so, you know, that's why I don't leave. That's why I take it because I must kneel at the foot of the master and learn from him. I, right. I have an agenda of my own right. that totally like explains why I'm there and why I don't leave and why I'm never going to leave. So, you and know. I don't want to speak for you, but one of the reasons why you, you never left is because that you, your character was incredibly ambitious. Yeah, for sure. And you, you knew that if you just took all this abuse, that ultimately you'll be an agent and you'll be calling the shots. Yes, but, you know, maybe this ties into that idea that uh, people thought they were watching a reality show. People were always asking me while the show was on the air, they're like, don't you want a promotion? Don't you want to be an agent? Yeah. And I was like, no, motherfucker. I want to work with Jeremy Piven. I want to be his assistant. I never wanted promotion. And then I got one. Okay, exactly. <laughs> Go ahead, got one. <laughs> that would actually be amazing to see your character now as an agent dealing in these times. Do you think if we, if the show, if, if there was a spinoff or a reboot, and for instance, Vinny Chase was played by Donald Glover, you know what I mean? Um, and it was, you got to see people from every different background. Um, could it, exist truthfully the way we did it then in these times with still having raunchy and racy language and characters that were inappropriate? I think so. I really do. Um, I'm not saying that if there was, you know, a spinoff or reboot that, that we should, you know, copy anyone else's work. Having said that, there's a show in France I don't know what it's called. <laughs> it's oh. called something in French, but in English they call it Call My Agent or something. Yes, indeed. Call My Agent. Yes. And in that, you don't have to have Vince played by Donald Glover. All of these stars in French cinema are all playing versions of themselves in the same way that, you know, on our show, James Woods played James Woods. But it wasn't him. It was a version of him. Right. A, a slightly larger than life poking fun at him version. Right. Um, so you're saying... Air more towards reality in that way. Well, I'm saying you could. Yeah. But the, that's, that's interesting because we did get some amazing people to play themselves, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, that would be fascinating. But who would be up for playing themselves every week is Oh, the no, question. no. I'm not saying that. It would, it would probably be more like, like even in the French show, those actors are there for one or two episodes, you know. Right. And then 
and then you know you know we're the agents in this story right so we have a bunch of clients so okay listen once upon a time i was at an hbo party and i was drunk off my ass okay this is when sue nagel was in charge at hbo so i'm like sue and for some reason what i ate at the buffet and what i drank my breath was stank horrible and i'm just like my face is a little bit too close to hers but i'm like sue this is what you do you make it like the love boat. On the love boat, you know, there's Captain Steubing and Julie McCoy, cruise director, and every week there are all these guest stars and they have a story. So it's it's called agency. We're the agents. And then, you know, in this episode, Donald Glover has some sort of issue that Ari has to deal with. But it gets resolved in at the end of the episode or after two episodes. And then the next episode, it's, you know, Charlie Saron who has a problem and I don't know. So, you know, you have this influx of people right. that we have to deal with and you know i don't know instead of having a lead fictional star that is the through line well that's been done we did that that was right. entourage right adrian played vince mm-hmm. the other boys played his friends they were fictional and right. you know sure uh leighton meester came in and played a fictional character and so I can't remember who else, so what did she say to you I think she didn't appreciate that I was drunk and was blowing my bad breath in her face. And she was like, yeah, okay. She was sort of like, couldn't wait to get away from me. Hollywood is weird and tough, isn't it? But also, let's be honest. Listen, this was a a few years ago. And at that point, nobody thought Jeremy Piven wanted to do what came after Entourage. They were like, "Eh, he did it. He's done. He's moving on with his life and career. Yeah. Nobody was interested in that because they thought you weren't interested. But, but that's fascinating because there's not, it, it's this weird combination of there's not a lot of communication. Like when I finished Entourage, I went over to London and for four years I did Mr. Selfridge. So it was a period drama, the antithesis of, of Entourage and all that kind of stuff. Got to work with all these brilliant British actors and it was incredible. Um, but People don't communicate, you know, and like you just said, they assume, um, you know, hits are hard to come by. It's just a fact, you know? Um, so no one, I like how they assume that, but how, how do you know unless you bring it up? Okay. You know what I mean? You're right. You're right. So I, people assumed that, told me it, and I believed it to be the truth because that was what I would have assumed as well. But, but isn't that interesting? Because we all just want to do good work. And that's actually a premise that is a new way of looking at what these characters that we're familiar with existing in a world with a new spin to it. So all we need to do is sober you up. <laughs> Make sure you stay away from the fucking buffet. <laughs> All right, line. <laughs> That's what they want to hear right now. They want to hear you and me <laughs> having a flashback. Oh, my God. Thank you, the great and all-powerful Rex Lee, everybody. Let's go. Give it up. Oh. Yeah. How You Live in J. Piven is a cast original podcast in association with Common Enemy and Tenderfoot TV. Producer is Kyle Tequila. Theme song by Common. Executive producer for Cast is John Spack. Executive producers for Tenderfoot TV are Donald Albright and Payne Lindsay. Executive producers for Common Enemy are Jared Einson and Dave Osico. Catch all new episodes of How You Live in J. Piven every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>